So um, food insecure is both the person who simply, I haven't eaten a meal all day, and somebody who has just, there's just not enough food to feed them, whether it's today or tomorrow or the next day. The other scary numbers we have are that one out of every four children today under the age of six, unless you're black or Hispanic, then it's one out of every three lives in a food insecure home. You've got an entire generation of young children growing up undernourished or malnourished. And as a result, one out of every three and soon, and this is horrific, one out of every two children will end up being type 2 diabetic. Welcome Getting There fans. I'm your host, Alejandro Garcia Maya. 30 to 40% of the United States food supply is wasted, while 12% of Americans are food insecure. How can we reduce the amount of food wasted and feed those who don't know where their next meal is coming from? On today's show, we have Gary Oppenheimer, founder and executive director at ampleharvest.org the nonprofit organization that connects gardeners with nearby food pantries. In this episode, Gary and I go over issues facing the 42 million food insecure Americans, and he answers a number of questions, such as, how did ampleharvest.org get started? What does it mean to be food insecure? What does the food pantry and gardening worlds in the U.S. look like? and much more. Join us in our conversation. Let's do this. Where did you grow up? I haven't grown up yet, but if, I, if <laughs> but I grew up in Yonkers and then went to the, uh, went to school in Connecticut, um, then subsequently moved for a couple of years to Brooklyn Heights, which is a neighborhood right across the lower Manhattan, mm-hmm. then traveled around America for eight months in a 90-inch Chevy van. And after I was done with the van, I moved on to a boat off in Manhattan. Well, yeah. I don't, I'm not even, I'm dying to ask you about those things, but okay. it's going to get us in, in trouble. So is there a lesson you hold dear from your parents or closest mentors? Yeah, I, that's a great question. My mother and my grandfather, my mother's father, were both great examples of this. Uh, not to say my father wasn't, but I saw this from them. What I learned is that most people, would like to do good. And if you give them the opportunity, they will. I saw that in my mother. She got involved when I was a kid in the civil rights effort in the United States in, in the 60s. Yep. And with my grandfather, who emigrated the family escaping the Nazis, he helped to rebuild a Jewish community in the Bronx that had been thrown out of Germany. And wow. they were given an opportunity and they ran with it. And it has been a fundamental philosophy that I think underscores how ample harvest works in that, which we can get to in a little bit, but by educating people about an opportunity and enabling them to act and get out of their way, magical things happen. Wow. I love that. That's beautiful. That's powerful. You, you got a BS in psychology and you spent 20 years in the tech sector. Yeah. What? Let me tell you the BS in psychology, the BS accurately describes the degree. <laughs> it wasn't uh, as impactful in what you were doing. No, and I'm continually reminded by my wife not to even think of applying any of what I learned. I, <laughs> I did the BS because I didn't know what I want. The psychologist, I didn't know what I wanted to do. But in my last year of college, they had brought in PDP-11 computers. These were an early um, mini computers. They were the size of a, of a refrigerator. 
and I fell in love. Well, what got you to start Ample Harvest? How did that come about? Oh, that's okay. There are going to be several answers to that one simple question. A piece of it are my parents and grandparents saying, finish what's on your plate. Kids are starving in Europe when I was a child. Mm. I was inculcated with, you don't waste food. There are, there are hungry kids in Europe. And uh, remember, I'm post-World War II, and there were still food issues right after the war in Europe. So upbringing, for sure. Upbringing. But I also hate waste. And that's waste of time, waste of energy. As a long-distance biker, you don't waste your energy going up a hill. Waste of money. But I mostly hate wasting opportunities. I think missed opportunities are a huge cause of a lot of problems for society, for the world. So what I saw with Ample, what I saw in 2009... Uh, from some firsthand experience in my own garden, my own community in New Jersey, was a humongous amount of food in my own garden that I wanted to give away and had some struggle um, doing because I couldn't find where to give it away to. And when I took over a community garden in my town in West Milford, New Jersey, I learned other people had the exact same complaint. And it was from that that I started to put pieces together and see little bits of the equation and ultimately woke up with a, an idea on in, in March of 2009. And what was the idea? What, what is the line for ampleharvest.org? What is it that you do? I'm solving two problems simultaneously. Simple problems. One is misinformation and the other is lack of information. But those two simple things have a huge impact on hunger, nutrition, and climate change in America. The misinformation that we all, gardener or not, have heard is every time you've gone to a food drive, your church, your house of worship, your um, business, jars, cans, boxes, no fresh food. They always say that. We as gardeners have been inculcated with the presumption that we couldn't donate garden produce. We had to go to a store. We had to grab something from a kitchen cupboard to donate it. So the misinformation was that we couldn't donate the food. And the cause of that is an architectural problem, the food bank network, which I can get into. The lack of information was, I didn't know, and I'm, when I speak, I mean all of us, we don't know where a food pantry is in our neighborhood and an optimum time to donate it. Completely. When you know to where, where a food pantry is, and the majority of food pantries, 70% of them are in a house of worship, they're in the basement or back building. There's no sign out front saying food pantry here. They're typically open one, maybe two days a week. So you don't know when to donate. And they're run by volunteers, typically in the house of worship. Mm -hmm. I had realized that if I told the gardeners of America that, yes, you can donate. The days of jars, cans, boxes, no fresh fruit is over. And I told them to where they could donate it in their neighborhood, ideally within a 20-minute drive. And lastly, if I told them an ideal day and time to donate, suddenly magic happens. The, the skies open up and it's, it's, it's beautiful. I know as a gardener, if St. Mary's Food Pantry would like to receive the food on Sunday morning, because Sunday afternoon they distribute the food to hungry families. So I know when to harvest that extra food in my garden, Sunday morning, Saturday night, whatever works for me. I take it to the neighborhood food pantry down the street, across town, hopefully within 20-minute drive at worst. They laid out on a table. The hungry families come a few hours later. They take that fresh food. It goes to their dinner table. 
the food that would have gone to waste in my garden is no longer going to waste. The hungry families that have historically never gotten fresh food suddenly get it. And by the way, they're getting food that's fresher than you and I can buy in a supermarket. It was harvested hours earlier. Mm. And because the food is only in the food pantry for a few hours, they don't need to buy costly refrigeration or insurance. I'm sorry, refrigeration or storage. It's a sudden improvement in the overall efficiency of the system. It's called just-in-time inventory logic in business, where you bring something in just when you need it. Suddenly, there is a sustained and a sustainable supply of fresh food from the community to the hungry families in the community with no cost to anybody, meaning that uh, the food pantry doesn't have to buy the food. The whole thing works seamlessly. And once you know that you can donate the food and to where and to when, you do that for the rest of your gardening life. So presuming for a minute that you garden for 40 years, for argument's sake, and let's say on average, I, we get to you midway through your gardening life, you've got 20 growing seasons worth of food that you can donate to a food pantry. Having come across ampleharvest.org and learning about your mission and, and learning a bit more about the, the world of, of food pantries and food banks and gardening. And so I wanted, I wanted to share a couple of, of facts that we have here. Uh, before we move on to explain, I would love to learn a little bit more about the process which you have mentioned here. One of the questions we have was, how many Americans grow food in home community gardens? According to the National Gardening Association, 42 million people, that's 35% of all households, engage in gardening. And I want to be clear about something. That does not necessarily include somebody who bought a house that has an already growing apple tree or plum tree. They're not technically gardening, even though they're getting the food. They haven't actively done it. So the number is oh, actually wow. higher. Wow, that is a and big the, difference. The amount of food that's excess that the gardeners have on average is 270 pounds per garden per year of excess food. 270 pounds per garden per year of excess food? Yeah. Wow. What is a community garden? For, for those that have never had a garden, are not in this world, what's a community garden? A community garden, and it's more common in urban settings, but it can be in suburban, is a piece of land that is organized into small plots. The original, by the way, community garden was named the People's Garden by President Lincoln when he was encouraging people to actually grow food in their communities during the Civil War. Wow. How many food pantries, food banks are there in the U.S., and how many Americans do they feed? There are 60-plus thousand uh, food programs. There are about 33,500 food pantries. And the reason the numbers are different because those food programs can include soup kitchens, they can include summer feeding programs and other things. Our target is the food pantry, uh, but it's a lot Depending on whose statistics you're looking at, you're looking at 40 to 42 million food insecure families in the country. And food That's insecure. crazy. That yeah. number, when I, when I came across that number, I had to take a step back to really understand that. So you said, can you, can you repeat it again? Between 40 and 42 million food insecure people. And I want to be clear, food insecurity doesn't mean you're necessarily that you're hungry. You can open your kitchen cupboard and have a single can of tuna fish in there, and you're not hungry, but you are not sure of where your next meal is going to come from. You are food insecure. So food insecure is both the person who simply, I haven't eaten a meal all day, 
and somebody who has just, there's just not enough food to feed them, whether it's today or tomorrow or the next day. The other scary numbers we have are that one out of every four children today under the age of six, unless you're black or Hispanic, then it's one out of every three lives in a food insecure home. Wow. You've got an entire generation of young children growing up undernourished or malnourished. And as a result, one out of every three and soon, and this is horrific, one out of every two children will end up being type two diabetic because of the quality of the food that they get. You may be having an adequate amount of food, but not adequate amount of nutrition. As a matter of fact, the problem in America, especially with given the, the obesity problem we have, is not that we don't have enough food. We're actually exceedingly well-fed, but a malnourished nation. Hmm. Well-fed, but a malnourished nation. Absolutely. So let's, let's go a bit into the process of ampleharvest.org. Can you share a little bit again about the players involved and then... Can you share a bit on the perspective of someone's journey, let's say, if they have a garden? Remember, I described that there were two stakeholders in this entire equation. Mm -hmm. There were 40 million gardeners, many of whom grow too much food, most of whom. And we have 33,500 food pantries. The majority of them never get fresh food. And the fresh food they do get was typically either supermarket food about to go south or um, uh, some long shelf life stuff like onions or whatever from the farm. So these two stakeholders have a, have different funnels. We work with the entire Feeding America Food Bank Network. Those are the 200 food banks like warehouses across the country. And we work to help them help their food pantries get connected to ampleharvest.org. So the food pantry manager comes to ampleharvest.org. They learn about it through whatever, and they sign up. And it's sort of like we've suddenly put the front porch light on so the community can find them. Hmm. Suddenly, gardeners can find that food pantry. On the other hand, with the gardeners, it's much more difficult. You can imagine trying to market any product of any type to 35% of all households. So there's no one way to do it. We reach out through gardening organizations, through the media, through social media, the Master Gardener program, speeches, TED Talks, you name it, a wide range of things, and viral, to tell gardeners that, yes, you can donate the food, and to tell them to come to ampleharvest.org to find out to where and when. These are two different silos that we have to work on together. When these two components actually come together, we step out of the picture, we're no longer needed. Once the gardener knows they can donate food and to where, we've actually solved the problem and ampleharvest.org leaves the equation. What was an insight you came across in, in the very beginning as you were helping make this connection? The question was in my mind, how far would you be willing to go hmm. without it becoming a nuisance and inconvenience? Think about when you donate old clothing to a thrift shop. You'll go to a thrift shop that's in your town, but you're not going to drive a great distance. It's, there's a certain point in which it's not worth it. When I did the math, I realized a 20-minute drive in most, not all, but in mm. most places, is probably about 9 or 10 miles of distance. If you live in Manhattan or if you live in Texas, it's going to be dramatically different, obviously. But on average, a 20-minute drive, 9-mile radius, is about 250 square miles. These were all really nice round numbers. So that was the approach I took. I wanted to have enough food pantries in ampleharvest.org's search engine spread across the country far enough and, and diversely enough 
so that a gardener waking up in the morning to too many zucchini could look left or right within a 20-minute drive and have a food pantry accessible so they'll donate it. That was the, that was the idea. How do I know or how, how does anyone know in terms of quality if it's good, if it's still worth being able to donate? Is that based on people's judgment in terms of, yeah, I would still eat this, so therefore I, would, I want to donate it? You actually, it's a great question. You, you pretty much gave the answer. Let me start by saying that gardeners who donate food are legally protected by federal law. You can't be sued unless you've done something grossly negligent. The Emerson Food Safety Act that President Clinton signed in 1995 protects you. So don't be afraid if somebody gets a bellyache because of something that had nothing to do with you. We'll mm. take that off the table now. The question about the quality of the food is really important. The standard that we came up with for ampleharvest.org of the food that you should be donating is very simple. Would you buy food of this quality to feed your family? Mm. If the answer is no, then you don't donate it. If it's got worm eaten, if it's got um, uh, it's seriously mushy, what have you. But if you would buy it for your family, the worst thing that you can do is to throw it away. When you throw vegetative material away, whether it's kitchen scraps or the food that you don't want to eat from your garden, you put it in a plastic bag, you put it out of the sidewalk and trashmen take it away. When that goes to a trash dump in an anaerobic or devoid of oxygen environment, that food breaks down and releases methane. Methane has 20 to 30 times the impact of CO2 on climate change. A single pound of produce will break down to a single pound of methane, which is like 20 to 30 pounds of CO2. So when you've thrown that food away, you have not only cost either an animal at a farm or your soil, the nutrition, you've added to the waste stream and you've exacerbated climate change. So the worst thing that you can do is to throw it away. And actually there was a wonderful book that came out uh, about a year ago about the uh, different things people can be doing for reducing climate change. And in the book, they highlighted that if food waste was a country, after the US and China, it would be the third largest cause of climate change. Wow. Are there other methods for reducing food waste, other strategies that you're, you're planning at the moment? The answer is yes. We have a program that's called Food Waste Weekend. This is for the faith community. Mm-hmm. For people of faith, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Unitarian, for any faith, typically faith leaders talk about feed the hungry, take care of the poor. They never talk about food waste, even though it's actually in almost all the scriptures. Hmm. So we created a program to educate the clergy of those different faiths about the waste of food. We give them a sermon written in their own faith tradition about the waste of food, calls to action. And then ideally, all in the same weekend, this year, it's going to be uh, September 6, 7, 8, this is 2019, imams on Friday, rabbis on Saturdays, and priests and ministers on Sundays will be talking about what, what the Quran, the Old Testament, New Testament, for example, say about the waste of food. When a cl clergy person signs up to do this, we go back to them and say, by the way, is your food pantry on ampleharvest.org. And when somebody has gone to church or whatever house of worship to hear their faith leader speaking, Statistically, 35% of them are gardeners. So this wow. promotes our core work and lifts all of the boats in the food waste space. How many food pantries uh, are there right now? If I went to ampleharvest.org and you showed me a really cool map that had all these different points, what did they represent and how many are there? 
Each point on that map is a food pantry that came to ampleharvest.org and signed up and said, I really want to get fresh food from gardeners for the hungry families of my community. Today, and this is again in July of 2019, we're at 8,500 food pantries. That's about one quarter of all the food pantries in America. Wow. Now, if you look, and by the way, if you want to see the map, you go to ampleharvest.org slash map. Mm-hmm. And the whole map will come up. Uh, Alaska and Hawaii, you have to shrink it a bit to see them, but we're, we're, we're in all 50 states and 4,000 communities. What you will see is a large density of, of the uh, pantries on the eastern half of the country, the northern tier, and then the Pacific coast. From Texas up to the plains, we have a lower density. We have a lot of work to, to do there still. But for every dot on the map, draw that imaginary 250 square mile circle around it. And that's the funnel of gardeners and garden food that can help nourish that community indefinitely. What's the biggest challenge right now for, for the organization? What's, what's a major obstacle and something that whoever is listening here from our audience could uh, possibly help in? Unquestionably, mm-hmm. we're solving a problem that most people never thought about. We're solving a problem in a way that nobody ever thought about. And we are actually addressing the issue, not by responding to a problem, but trying to prevent it in the first place. Many found, most foundations, many people respond to a person in need because they want to help. But there's less of an inclination to do something ahead of time to prevent that person from being in need. That, that's incredibly difficult in, in terms of, of raising money. I'll give you an example. If you woke up one morning and invented health clubs, Mm-hmm. To keep people from being sick. You could basically say to people, I need money so I can get people exercising, they'll be healthy. And uh, that's really Exercise, smart. nutrition, all the Exercise. wonderful things. But most people are still going to want to go to the, give money to the hospital because they cured somebody or they helped somebody recover from a heart attack or cure disease rather than prevent them from getting a disease in the first place. The second thing that's a challenge is, is the metrics. Most funders want us to give me all the numbers. And, you know, if, if I could show you a, a kid with an apple or a family with salad, that's nice, but we don't get to see them. We're connecting the gardeners to the food pantries. The food pantries have that last part. So we get to talk about how much food is in a garden, uh, which is 11 billion pounds, about the desire of gardeners to donate. 80% of them want to donate, about the capacity to donate. are both willing and able, which means they want to donate and they have food to donate. So we have that information, but it's very, very, very difficult to attract the funding. I should also say that I was once asked by somebody, you're on the internet, why do you need money? And I was caught off guard with that question. Fortunately, (laughs) I was fast on my feet. And I said to them, well, so are iTunes and eBay. Without staff and technology, nothing happens. We have a very, very, very tiny staff. We have a, uh, but our, our scale and reach is staggeringly huge. We're in 4,000 communities in 50 states. Um, and we lend our resources to other nonprofits that are doing their good work so they can actually do their work better than that. To give a perspective on costs, by the way, I did the math a few years ago. Our annual budget is five minutes of feeding America's annual budget. <laughs> just yeah and feeding america is a partner organization this is not them versus us they're doing super critical work yeah. on getting uh, all the food they get to to hungry families nobody's growing cornflakes or 
or bread in their backyard. They're the ones with all the food pantries. All the food banks and all the food pantries, exactly. So the money is 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 the critical thing. We did put a uh, moonshot program together, and the irony is, three days from now, we'll be celebrating the landing of the first time humans landed on the moon. <laughs> so we put a moonshot together, and we figured out that if an Oprah Winfrey or a Bill Gates or whatever came up, we realized that for $2 million a year for four years, at the end of four years, half of America's food pantries would be connected to 40% of America's gardeners. Seven to eight million people a year would be fed or nourished on a permanent basis for a one-time uh, $8 million investment over four years. It's that cheap to change the health and, by extension, the wealth of the nation. I love the, the concept of people within the nation helping others uh, by what they're cultivating. It's, it's, there's something really beautiful about that. This is absolutely, it's a community program, but on a national scale. Mm-hmm. As I said, people fundamentally want to do good. And the place where you most likely see the need to do good is in your neighborhood. And there are millions of people, by the way, in America who want to do good, but who themselves are too cash strapped to be able to write a check or give money, but they can reach into their backyard instead of their back pocket to help their neighbors in need. So I'm listening to this. I love what the organization is doing. Where do I go to if I wanted to donate, if I wanted to support in any possible way? Where do they go? They go to the ampleharvest.org? Ampleharvest.org. And uh, you could donate money. I mean, that's that's the thing that that's what keeps the wheels turning to make this reach more and more people to reduce the waste of food and reduce hunger. But if you're a gardener, you go to ampleharvest.org to find a food pantry to donate to. If you're a food pantry, you'd like to sign up, you go to ampleharvest.org to, to sign up. And by the way, while this is not what we're designed to do, mm. if you're hungry, you can come to ampleharvest.org to find a food pantry near you. Now, Ideally, you should be going to other organizations. And so when you come as a hungry person to ampleharvest.org, we will tell you that you should visit whyhunger.org or United Way. And we give you all the information based on your state as how to connect to United Way. Those are the organizations where if you have, if you have a food issue, a health issue, a housing issue, that should be your first stop. Whyhunger.org and... Whyhunger.org, one word. And so whyhunger.org... United Way. United Way. And if you go to ampleharvest.org slash 211, which by the way, if you call 211 from almost any phone in America, you will get to United Way. Most people think that if you go to a food pantry, it's because you are, either you've done something wrong, or you were born, forgive the expression, on the wrong side of the railroad tracks. You're, you're, it's a chronic problem. You're going to be needing a food pantry forever and forever and forever. Either you're lazy, whatever it is, whatever your, your, your biased perspective is on the thing. Mm-hmm. 90% of people who go to a food pantry for help have fallen temporarily on hard times, and they no longer need the food pantry within a year. Wow. It is entirely plausible that you have, you're going to take food to a food pantry and it's plausible that your next door neighbor lost a job and they are using a food pantry. You don't need the embarrassment and they don't need the humiliation of them being, you two being at the food pantry at the same time, you do- donating food and them taking mm-hmm. food from that table. So by separating people by a little bit of time, you know it's going to your, somebody in your community, but you don't know who. 
And when your hungry neighbor comes in, they know it came from somebody in the community, but they don't know who. The anonymity helps to maintain their sense of self-esteem. Gary, I want to I wanna thank you for the time and for sharing all of this. Is there anything else that I did not ask that you would love to be able to share? I really do believe in the idea that if I find a problem that you want to solve and I enable you to solve it and then I get out of your way, magical things happen. Well, that's this week's episode of Getting There. Thank you all for listening to the Getting There podcast. Very much appreciate it. Be sure to visit gettingtherepodcast.com to learn about more leaders solving the world's most pressing problems through our videos, games, blogs, and more. If you are or have a friend who's a social impact leader using scalable technology to find sustainable solutions for world-pressing problems, please reach out to my team and I at guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. That is guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. Catch a new episode every Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show and want to spread love back to my team and I, please make sure to subscribe and rate us. Have a wonderful day. And as my grandfather would say, adelante y arriba.